White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. We did it. We time traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome back to the Razzball Prospect Podcast. It's uh, the post-holiday episode. We're doing the Cubs today. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. I am, uh, of course, here with uh, my main man, my partner in crime, none other than Lance Brozdowski. Lance, how are your holidays? How's it going, man? Oh, dude, I'm doing really well, Ralph. Uh, post-holidays, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to get back into the grind of my regular diet as opposed to eating all the, uh, the sweets and cakes and stuff that I've had in the last four or five days or so. And then that's all going to go to shit again the second we get to New Year's. So uh, overall, though, it was a fantastic little break. Um, it was nice to kind of relax. I got the next two days off, Thursday recording today and then and Friday too. So extended break for me, which is always nice. Um, how were your holidays with the kids and everything, man? They were great. It was uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. You kind of a, a small thing. My sister lives in New York. She stayed up there. She had to work the day after uh, after Christmas, so uh, she didn't come down. And then uh, my wife's family sort of uh, spread out throughout the country in, in different different spots. So just my parents. They came over. Kids woke me up super early. I didn't even realize what time I, I woke up. So I wake up and and to be honest, this time of the year, five o'clock and six o'clock look very similar. And uh, I get up, they're excited. They want to open their gifts. I'm fine with that. Um, you know, I have three, my oldest is seven, my daughter's four, and then my youngest son is two. And uh, they op- they went in, they woke up Nolan, they run out, they start opening up gifts. I walk into the kitchen, I'm watching them open gifts. I'm making coffee, not looking at the clock, not even thinking. So probably 15 minutes goes by. I'm having my first cup of coffee. I sit down and I look down at the clock and I realized that it's like 5:20 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh my and, god! And uh, 
You're and we got a snowstorm. I, and we got yeah. a snowstorm. I, you know, we probably got about three or four, maybe five inches around me. Uh, so it was kind of fun. You know, we woke up in the morning and it was like, a, you know, not a blizzard, but at one point it snowed pretty heavy for about an hour and a half. And I went out and shoveled once the sun came out. And uh, we drove down to my parents' house who live outside of Providence and uh, opened up some presents there. It was almost like two days. But by the time we got home from my parents at about five or six o'clock at night, we were ready for the kids to just go to sleep. And they were not ready to go to sleep because they had all these toys. My son got a switch, <laughs> you know, from Santa nice. Claus. And yeah, it was a uh, it was a memorable Christmas, but it was a lot of fun. And I wanted to have like one day of work this week, but it's turned into like my busiest week of work of my entire year. I've oh, I, Every single day I have a thousand things going on. And it's like uh, like zero degrees outside too. So, yeah, I mean the cold is is another thing. Yeah, that's something I've seen jumping around Twitter a ton. And I was just actually driving back up to to Boston from my my hometown in Connecticut actually, and uh, I just saw the thermostat of my car just keep dropping. It was like maybe I think it was like eighteen degrees when I left Connecticut, and we're recording at like nine thirty ish right now. And I think it was like seven degrees outside in Boston, and it's just gonna get colder from what I understand. And uh, I'm not a fan of it. I see down in all these these heat maps, supposedly, that Florida is like 73. And I just think to myself, why on earth did Stanton come up to New York, honestly? <laughs> Which has nothing to do with prospects or, or the Cubs. But, I mean, man, it, it's so cold. It's unbelievable. And I'm not a fan of it. But um, you said you have family down in, like, Florida, right? Yeah, my mother-in-law is uh, down in Florida, but uh, she went out and visited my brother-in-law, who lives out in Lake Tahoe. So she okay. actually drove into up a mountain and into the snow and oh, somewhat man. cold weather. Uh, not as not as brutal, <laughs> not as brutal as here. You know, they get a lot of bluebirds. It sort of snows uh, overnight, and then you know by twelve o'clock, it's like forty degrees and and sunny, <laughs> and you know like like Aspen or any of those sort of. Uh, uh, you know, ski resort type of t- type of places. Uh, Lake Tahoe is beautiful, but no, we don't live in any place fancy. We're the we're the ones that live in a practical place, as we like to say. We don't live in <laughs> in Tampa on the beach, and we don't live up a mountain. But you know, we can drive to our jobs, and we don't get hurricanes, and our lives are boring, I suppose, because yeah. of it. But <laughs> enough about enough about that. We got the Cubs to talk about today. Unfortunately. It's not really an exciting system. We're probably better off talking about the weather for an hour, but they do have a lot of fans. And we were talking before the show, as we tend to do for about 25 minutes, uh, that we probably should record and make into another podcast, because why why shouldn't we have a two-hour podcast as opposed to an hour and 40-minute podcast? Um, But I kind of feel like this system is lacking a one through five. Like, it's a six through 20. You know, when I look at it, they, they have good depth guys, but they don't really have that high-end, top-of-the-scale type of talent. Uh, even Alberto's, who we'll get into in a minute, is very good. But even at this point, if, if you know, you're the high guy on Alberto's, I know my former uh, co-host here, Halp, was a big Alberto's guy, he's still a back-end of the top 100 arm. I, I don't see him in the top 50 for many people unless, like, you're Mrs. Alberto's or something, you know? <laughs> no, I agree with that. I think the biggest thing, you know, I, I, like we can talk a little high level about this list because, as you mentioned, it isn't it isn't the strongest list. And I, usually, I think we're not going to devote a whole podcast to a list that is is probably bottom five to ten in baseball. Um, but I mean, the Cubs have a ton of fans, and there are some interesting kind of just storylines, I guess you could say, subplots within this list that I find interesting. Number one being that top trio of guys: Albertos, Edmund, 
and Alzale, I think I'm going to butcher that 20 times, but uh, we'll get through it. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a stepping back high level on this list, they drafted the Cubs drafted so pitching heavy in the last two years that I was interested kind of Ralph in your perspective on how they're trying to groom their farm system. Cause I mean, if you look at the major league team, you have a relatively young hitting that, I mean, actually I'd say almost very young hitting to some extent that's still developing with Brian Rizzo. And then you guys got, you got guys like Happ and Almora um, who has a whole, like the, the lineup is young and the pitching is kind of teetering on old. Like even the guys they would consider maybe young in that like Hendricks and Quintana, I think are still around that 28. So, you know, most aging curves are going to say they're going to start declining over the next couple of years. But I mean, they drafted so pitching heavy. Do you think this was kind of a blatant attempt for them to try to strengthen the part of their team that they probably considered relatively weak? So that, you know, we see them go with a bunch of college arms and these international signees. And, you know, they have a ton of ton of arms here. Like the whole list is basically arms and Aidman. And then you get down into Caratini and some of these other guys where we don't really see them probably more than just minor role players. But um, how conscious do you think the choice was for them to go peer pitching and so pitching heavy early in the draft in 2017 and 2016? I think it, I think it had to be, you know, what their thinking was. And the more and more we talk to scouts, you know, evaluators, I feel like I talk to one a week or two a week now between our couple of shows. This is probably the first podcast I've had. that's just a one-on-one conversation without a scout chiming in with some sort of information. <laughs> but it, it seems like the consensus feeling is to get, three good starters you gotta you know draft eight or sign and draft eight and i think that's what they were trying to do i don't know if they have a a top end of the rotation talent a lot of that is where they've been drafting in the draft since they've started to go after pitching as opposed to some of these positional guys that they've done a great job of obviously scooping and hitting on in the draft but in the international market as well you know, they overpaid for some players on short-term deals. You know, a guy like, you know, obviously a role as Chapman wasn't there very long. And they paid, you know, a very heavy fee in terms of the talent that they sent over to the Yankees. It's, you know, obviously the Yankees' top prospect at the moment. Um, I think they had to do that. I think they had to draft pitchers. And they, they tried to find guys that had upside. You know, so maybe there was some risk involved with some of the college starters that they've, they've taken They've also had a wave of uh, a starter's bust. And we talked about this before the show. I had mentioned, you know, Underwood, Sands, you know, Hudson, some of these guys. I mean, and, and there's still an opportunity for these guys to make good. But, you know, they just they they never reached sort of the peak of what people thought their ceilings were. I'm not even sure they reached in the floor of what a lot of a lot of the, the more positive evaluations, you know, thought they would reach. And even someone that you brought up, like a C.J. Edwards, um, who is just a decent pen arm at this point. He had a pretty good season, but you know, at one point people thought he could be a, a, a front end or at least a number two starter with, you know, pretty nasty stuff, swing and miss stuff. And that never materialized. So they haven't done a good job of developing the talent once it's been here in terms of pitching. They've done a good job elsewhere. I brought up a couple of other arms that they had at one point, uh, you know, drafted, um, I guess developed to a certain extent, but, you know, made, you know, good elsewhere, one being Chris Archer and then the other one being like Andrew Kashner, who had a, a short period of time where he was pretty good with the Padres. <laughs> no, no, that's a very good point. I mean, you, that's another thing that I think is very important to point out about this list as a whole is that, in my opinion, if I was a Cubs fan, I would not be disappointed that their farm system is this week because, Ralph, you mentioned that they're picking 
you know, they're no longer picking in the top 10 perennially like we were so used to, you know, where they grab guys like Schwarber and Bryant and stuff. And even like a guy like Hap, they've done a really good job, as you just mentioned, of, of picking these college hitters and developing them. And that's been extremely impressive. But this, like this list seems to be a blatant attempt to me to figure out the pitching side of things and allow these guys on the pitching side of things to materialize even if it is as you're saying two of eight you know like if they could hit on two of eight and get two number three starters i think down the road you know you look three years down the road for the cubs that would be huge reinforcements for them but uh, yeah i mean you can't knock them for what they've done like they've clearly gone after major league talent with the pieces of the system they've had like Eloy jimenez you know they traded gleber a couple other guys like they got returned from that and they got a world series so at the end of the day i don't see how we can be too critical of the fact that they have a weak system but I mean even if it is a weak system there are some guys that are interesting and I think that's what we're going to want to get into now is kind of this guy you know we have in my opinion we could I think we kind of agree on this route is that we have basically a top trio of talent we have Jose Alberto's right-handed pitcher we have Aramis Aidman shortstop and Adbert Alzole right-handed pitcher so those are kind of the top three that's the order you have them Ralph and to me I think that you could kind of mix them up in any direction among this trio and I wouldn't fault you for saying uh, Zole you think is probably going to develop a little bit more and probably is a little more upside a little bit more advanced in double a and such but um and I mean even Aidman too if you you know a lot of these June 2 signees like Aloha and Gleber um you, we've seen them kind of fill out and become top tier prospects and I think a lot of people put that comp on Aidman so I guess let's start with the pitchers Ralph your general impressions on Albertos and Alzole yeah, I, I've been a fan of Albertos for a while, and I think one of the things that I like about Albertos is, number one, he's got an excellent changeup, you know, plus-plus changeup. There's definitely decent movement on it as well. Certainly has feel. The arm action is very similar. Um, you know, if you're not looking at a radar gun and, and you know, don't have a, a great eye or the camera uh, isn't of top quality because there are a lot of sort of fuzzy videos of these guys in backfields, um, you wouldn't even be able to necessarily pick up a difference other than, you know, what the velocity was. Um, that's how good his changeup is. He also, one thing I noticed, I watched an entire start of his this afternoon is, uh, I have three sick people in the house. So they were all sort of snoozing on the couch and I was, uh, at the kitchen table, just finished my dinner and started watching in Alberto start. So they had it condensed down to about 19 minutes. And the thing I really noticed about his fastball that I liked is, for a small guy, he's relatively diminutive. I mean, he's listed at six feet, six one. He looks more like he's five ten, and he sort of looks like you know he's a young guy. He's only nineteen, but he sort of has that body of like being a barrel-chested guy that he's not necessarily going to be. He's going to be kind of thick once he gets older. Um, but he, for a small guy, he throws downhill. Everything is low in the strike zone with a fastball. Um, it definitely has some downhill plane for like I said, a small guy. Um, he's got good arm action on it. The mechanics are athletic and repeatable. He throws a lot of strikes. Problem is his breaking ball is incredibly raw. If he's able to develop his slider into a true wipeout pitch to go with the changeup and with a good fastball where, you know, he's able to ramp it up at best to 97 miles per hour. And it's relatively, uh, easy velocity too. There's not a ton of effort in his delivery. Um, I, I I think Albertos could could be the goods. I think he's the only guy in this list, at least in terms of the arms, that could be a number one or a two starter. That's interesting, actually. I, I think I toss Azole into that mix of being a, a possible number one, number two. I think it's much further off. I think that with Albertos, you're getting more of the combination floor ceiling. But, you know, the thing that does stand out to me is is with these two guys is that they're both I guess you could call them undersized to some extent. And that's actually one of the knocks I saw a lot on Alberto's Ralph was 
the fact that, you know, he's, uh, I think Fangrass has him at 6'1", 185. And I mean, yeah, I've seen a lot of people saying that they don't really like how projectable that body is at only 19 years old at the moment, or freshly turned 19, excuse me. He, I think he turned 19 in November, so he was 18 in season. But yeah, it, that's one of the things, though. You, you mentioned the slider is raw, but it, it has flash plus, which I think makes people relatively a lot more interested in, in what he could actually project out to be if he can flash three plus pitches and then actually materialize those plus pitches. And I mean, he throws his change up to righties a good amount, which I think is huge and creates a relatively nice floor. If you're, if you're in any kind of lead that wants to invest in a back end 100 guy overall um, on the list on like prospect lists and stuff, I think that he's probably the most likely to slot in there, but Azola is a guy who I kind of see, almost having a, an equal ceiling to Albertos, but a much smaller percentage that he actually gets there. He is a little bit further along. He's hit double A, and I think Albertos has only gotten to low A. Um, so that's one of the things, too. Like, And, I mean, again, Zoli is actually three years older. So if you're looking at kind of timetable contention windows for a dynasty team, there's probably a much better chance to see Zoli sooner than you see Albertos. But, um, but I mean, with Zoli, it's it's more of a matter of actually – actually, both these guys have had kind of weird – um injury i guess kind of things going on like alberto's had a weird stretch in season he didn't pitch for a while and then he got shelled and i guess for a guy that has that stable track record that's somewhat of a knock from what i've heard and then azole too is a guy who really i mean he's at double a but he hasn't been stretched out almost at all they were very very cautious with him late in the year in august he didn't exceed 80 pitches june and july or july and august he he basically think i think through six days, seven days. So he was getting kind of the Japanese treatment where he wasn't thrown every fifth day. And I mean, as far as that's probably one of the main reasons why I think people probably knock him for possibly being a reliever at the end of the day, he's a little bit lower in that three quarter slot. And I think that kind of can neutralize right to some extent and he can pop the lefties too. But I, and with a lot of these guys too, the change of ends up dictating the role is, as to whether he ends up being kind of that back end five, or if he can actually materialize into an, a two, or I think is probably near his ceiling. I'm not sure if I see him too much as a one, um, but I mean, it's the same thing. Alberto's for me. I think I'm just kind of a little bit more lukewarm on the two, but yeah, Azoli is interesting. Um, I'm interested to see if you are concerned or how concerned you are about the relief risk with him, Ralph, because we, we understand that there's kind of this, they haven't really stretched him out. Um, he's th- like, he threw 110 innings, interestingly last year, but they were cautious with him. As I said, in August, he didn't really throw over 80 pitches. So, um, you think that's kind of the new wave of what the Cubs are going to try to do with these guys, or is that more just grooming a kid who's relatively young? Yeah, I think, you know, he was relatively young. I'm sure they probably had ultimately maybe a number in there. They also sent him to the Arizona Fall League, so maybe they were hoping to see him against some different competition, uh, throw him out there for you know just a different experience. I know one of the things that they did with uh, Alzale this year is they actually reworked his lower half, got him more straight on. If you watch some of the tape between 2016 and 2017, you can really notice the bottom half. And that's one thing I actually noticed watching a lot of these Cubs pitchers. Regardless of what the the the, the uh, you know upper body is doing in terms of mechanics, they all have really good lower halves. I know that I've noticed that about Alex Lang actually as well. Where some of you know he's an early arm cocker. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but he's a guy that you know, drives well with his legs, and uh, I think they have a huge focus on that. That's what I think you know drove um, some of the improvements with Alzale, and ultimately I think they sort of had a plan for him all along. Maybe later on in the season, they didn't they didn't want to put as much strain and stress on him. And then, you know, also wanted to ha- have that Arizona fall experience. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, he threw 114 innings in season. And then I think threw about another 10 in Arizona, though he didn't pitch very well. Um, but 
he's an interesting one. I, I think that he, I, you know, it, it's funny. I feel like he has a lower floor than Albertos, but he's further along than Albertos. So it kind of it kind of evens out the case a little bit. So that's why, like you said, you could flip flop him on the list because Albertos is also just as undersized, even further away. Has had you know arm injuries in multiple seasons early on in his career. That's not a great sign. Um, and we've seen Alzale make adjustments and improve. Um, one of the things that I wrote about in my write up on the Cubs, and one of the things that I've you know seen discussed in not just one place I read it, but a few other places since, is he's really had a commitment to focusing on improving his changeup. If he gets that changeup and he improves that third pitch, um, and it's anything like the mechanical changes that he made in the offseason, he could definitely take off next season. If he's a guy that adds a decent third pitch in there, you know, we saw it with uh, a change with a curveball with Robbie Ray and other players since. That's the kind of stuff with pitchers that can sort of put them into that next level and ultimately might help him reach a ceiling. So I don't know. I may disagree with you a little bit on the fl- on the floor conversation. I think there's a case that could be made that Alzale may have a higher floor than Alberto's. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I completely see, see your perspective on that. I think that maybe on, on my floor is probably dictated in the conversation between the two more on the fact that uh, Alberto's has the two pitches already. Like he, he can throw that slider and that yeah. change. That's probably yeah. what I'm flowing my floor on. But I completely agree with you on Alzale. Like he's a guy... I think we're both seeing and agreeing on now that can shoot up. Like if that changeup comes through, that's a guy who I think jumps solidly into the number one on this list and sits there and he's 22. He can take a little more time to develop. Like it's, there's just a lot of stuff like that, that I think that at the end of the day, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm becoming more excited because I'll be able to see the fruits of, of this investment more so than Alberto's which might be a little bit further off. Um, sure. Instead of going to pitchers, because I know the next tier of pitchers, we want to talk about some college pitchers and we want to talk about probably De La Cruz and some other guys. But let's touch on the guy who I've seen actually at the top of some Cub lists before, shortstop uh, Aramis Aidman. Um, your thoughts overall on him? I noticed particularly that I, I maybe was a little bit biased because I saw this beforehand, but the comps to Alihoy and uh, Alihoy, I just combined their two names. Uh, <laughs> Aloy Jimenez and Gleyber Torres and these June 2 signees of theirs that you know, once their body fills out a little bit, the position becomes a little more interesting. Um, but with Aidman overall, I, I kind of liked everything I saw from him. And I don't know if I see as much upside as, as guys like Aloy and, and Gleber, but as a whole, he's super loose at the plate, a little bit open to his stance. Um, obviously, a lot of these guys are trying to figure out how much power actually is going to materialize with them. But um, I, I'm a fan of him overall. His actions at short are pretty smooth. But if he fills out any more, do you actually see him maintaining at short, Ralph? Um, yeah, he could end up getting moved over to second base. I think that's entirely possible. Uh, I haven't read anything that says he's a stellar defender. I haven't watched a lot of defensive tape, to be honest on him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if his, I think he is a middle infielder. So I think that at worst, he moves over to second base. Um, he has a good bat. I like the swing. You know, most of my focus with Admin has really been, or Aidman, I know, as we said, we're going to butcher that name. Uh, has really been just, I think that he has a decent power uh, ceiling. He kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Johnny Peralta almost. Like that's oh, okay. that's the kind of player I, I think it can be. And, I, and that's actually a conversation I've had with uh, Matt Thompson before uh, from Friends with Fantasy Benefits that we've both sort of agreed that we think Johnny Peralta is a good comp. 
Um, I really like the swing. I think that he's a solid offensive player. Doesn't have a ton of speed, but I think similar to Glaber Torres, he has a little bit of speed. Um, he's sort of, I hate when people say this, but I think he's sort of a Glaber Torres light. You know, he's not, he's a similar style of player, but I don't think the hit tool, the power, the speed, the overall sort of dynamic ability in game to make plays is quite on the level that, that Glaber Torres is. And that's sort of what separates him from a guy like Aidman. Um, he's very similar to Isaac Paredes, who I think might be, you know, it was definitely more of a third baseman, bigger body guy. He's filling out was another middle infielder that was moved for uh, uh, Justin Wilson and the Alex Avila trade. So uh, the Cubs are, are good at sort of scooping these guys on the international market and finding them for uh, relatively cheap. So it wouldn't shock me if they have another two or three of these guys. So I, I will say, I do think he's within the top 200 prospects and uh, because of his ability to hit in the middle infield and potentially move to second base, which is a, a position that's sort of lacking good um, sleeper prospects at this point that aren't shortstops. Aidman has an opportunity to be a decent everyday uh, second baseman or shortstop somewhere in the major leagues and contribute to fantasy teams and dynasty teams ultimately. Yeah, I, I don't think that Gleber comp, the Gleber light comp that you're saying is too off. Like, I think that's relatively reasonable because if you look at the minor league track record as well, I know it's not huge for Aidman right now, but, you know, I think Gleber can probably take walks better than, than Aramis can. But, I mean, right now you're looking at him, <clears throat> he jumped up to A-ball, 134 plate appearances with an 18% K rate and 3% walk rate, which is down substantially from rookie ball where it was at 14-ish and um, in low A where it was at round eight. So, I, I mean, small sample size, sure. I'm a little bit concerned with that overall, just because, I mean, for him to have any fantasy value, going back to that, he's going to have to hit. And, I mean, the hit tool grades have been really good on him. But I, if there's not a ton of power to come and he's only batting, you know, 260-ish, and at the end of the day, how valuable is that actually uh, return your investment? So when you say kind of kind of that top 200, I, I think I agree with that. I think that's right in there. Um, I, I could see if some people buy the power, buy the swing, putting him fringe top 100. I I mean, if you're kind of a Cubs homer to some extent, you could probably force one of these pitchers between Ozole and uh, and Albertos along with Aidman into their top into your top 100 list towards the back end. But I think it might be a little bit more of a stretch with Aidman um, unless you see that power coming forward and turning into more of a Gleber guy. Who I mean, Gleber's a guy too who hasn't had insane power through the minors. Like it's not like a like a Hoskins kind of power where it's just crazy through the minors. It's more it's from my understanding and what I've seen of him on tape, I haven't seen him in person, but it's more projected power. Like his approach is so good. People think that he'll fill it even more as approach to get better and the power will come. But I mean, yeah, that's what, that's kind of what we're saying here. Like, I don't mind that Gleaver like comp at all on him. Um, and top 200 teams. Reasonable. I think you go on Raswell, usually go 100 through 200 on your list, right? Are you going to do that? Come like Marchish Ralph? Um, so I, uh, I did the 200 in the mid season. Uh, I've been thinking about doing it for like the last write up of the preseason. I kind of want to go to like 400 cause I'm going to have all these guys written good. up. Yeah. I kind of want to go to like true. 400 or 500 and do like a prospect Bible and like sell it to people. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I struggle. I struggle with, I struggle with this idea of whether I want to, I want to do more, add more, go in depth, do like a top yeah. 500 prospects or something, add like a bunch of lists, have other writers come in and like try to do like a Rasball prospect Bible. But uh, I don't know if I have the time to do it with three kids and a full time job. Oh, that is job. a huge time investment. Yeah. But I mean, it, but I can do the top 200. I can do the top 200 because ultimately once I'm done with all these systems, um, 
in early March, I'm going to have written up, you know, 15 plus players pretty much per system. Some of them are up to 30. The Padres may go and the Yankees may go up to like 35 yeah, in terms of the number of prospects that are kind of interesting in those two systems. So, you know, so I haven't even done the deepest systems yet. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'll probably do a top 200. We're getting off. We're getting off track a little bit. But you know what? I wanted to. I wanted to take this time and jump in a little bit early in this this episode. I wanted to thank our sponsors. That would be RotoWare, RotoWare.com, uh, Kenneth Cashman making the finest quality, best designs, best material. Everything about uh, his his T-shirts are top notch. Um, you know, I guess it's still fantasy football season. He's got more fantasy baseball designs coming out. He's got some classic T-shirts uh, like lineups and chill, the commissioner, all that stuff is still available. You can go on there. You can still use the promo code SAGNOF. That's S-A-G-N-O-F to get 20% off of all of your shirts. I got five or six of them. My kids got them. My wife has them. We're a RotoWare family. Um, you should be supporting Kenny. He's an entrepreneur. He's doing his thing. You know, he's got skin in the game. And you should follow him on Twitter because he's always giving away tons of T-shirts. And you might be just lucky enough to win one if you tell him that you're a member of uh, the unofficial Crab Army. Lance, what do you have to say about RotoWare? Oh, I mean, Kenny's the man. I think he actually had a kid a bit ago, right? So we have to give him a, a huge yeah. congratulations from the Rasball Prospect Podcast Squad. And I mean, everyone at the Rasball. And in within the Crab Army, we, we extend... Our, our best wishes, wishes for your child. I believe his middle name's Jeter, if I remember correctly, which is awesome. Yes, Kingston so, Jeter. There you go. That's awesome. Kenny, congrats, man. But yeah, I mean, as you're saying, Ralph, he's an entrepreneur, and I, I respect him immensely for what he's done. He's got uh, a great follow on Twitter because of all the graphics he tosses out because I love his his kind of uh, his illustrator work. And I mean, uh, that's uh, distant from kind of the, the, the brand itself that is RotoWare. So, I mean, I got a couple shirts I enjoy them immensely, and the quality on them and the detail that goes into them is unbelievable. Um, from the little cards he gives you and the certificate of authenticity and stuff that he tosses in, the shirt itself fits perfect, and it's it's very, very comfortable, and it's of high quality, so you know you're getting what you're paying for as opposed to a lot of the crappy, you know, single-blend shirts that are tossed out, which is sl- slapped on logos. Kenny puts the time and the thought into it, and um, you can see that in the work, but... Yeah, definitely follow him on Twitter. I know he's got a ton of stuff kicking around all the time. I know he did a bunch of stuff for Christmas. He was giving away um, some things, and I believe some promo codes were floating around. So you could use ours, which is Sagnoff, as Ralph mentioned, or any of the others that Kenny, I'm sure, has up on his Twitter. Um, so definitely keep an eye out. But, yeah, uh, RotoWare, man, great sponsor. And early. we got to get him in early, you know. Post-Christmas, we're feeling we're feeling in the Christmas spirit, in the spirit of giving. So uh, I like that, Ralph. <laughs> we're, being, we're being charitable. So uh, RotoWare.com, Kenneth Cashman at RotoWare, at Kenneth Cashman on Twitter, 20% off for uh, using Sagno promo uh, code. One thing I have to say about RotoWare, they are consistent. But you know who is not consistent? That would be Oscar De La Cruz. He is constantly hurt. That is that is very true. Oh, and by the way, when I used, when I said I didn't like the Glaber light comp, I just don't like the light term. Oh, like no, the, I agree. Like yeah, because like all the, the time you like hear the suffix. Because like, <laughs> I mean, ninety percent of the time you're taking a guy who is super developed and is like top ten, and you're slapping exactly. light on, like, and that's just tough to do. Like, I mean, you see comps like like to Altuve and, and like Pedroia or, or two just guys that get comp to anyone that's undersized. And I agree with you. That's that's a pain in the ass. But um, I, I think it's relatively apropos with with Aidman. So, but Dale yes. Cruz, man, inconsistent. Yeah, he was protected from the Rule Five draft. He's kind of wiry, 6'4", 200 pounds, so we're getting away from the relatively undersized guys that uh, Alzale and Albertos were. 
But I mean, overall, he's another guy that kind of comes back to the changeup for him and figuring out what exactly the level of that is um, and, and how it could project him forward into being a relatively productive major league pitcher at any level. But his curveball is decent. He can throw it early for strikes. Um, he's another guy who always hasn't kind of been stretched out too much, which is relatively concerning. I don't think he's thrown over 70 innings since 2015, um, which is terrifying to me if I'm, I'm an investor of any sorts in any fantasy league with him. But uh, that just punts back to the pen for me. And I think we're probably both in agreement that this is eventually just a pen arm. Are you, are we, uh, can we agree on that, Ralph? Yeah. And I think it could be a dynamic pen arm. Um, if it all comes together, if he's really able to develop the changeup that he's worked on over the course of uh, the last year plus, it, it showed some improvement this year as well. Obviously in a small sample size, he only pitched 54 innings. Um, his big issue is health. He's had elbow flare-ups. He had a pectoral injury that had him back out of the Arizona Fall League. He was originally on the roster there with Alzale and some of the other prospects that went out there. Um, so I think his big issue has really been staying healthy. And ultimately, it's tough to project him to do that over the course of 200 innings. Uh, he has an excellent fastball. I would say it's at least a six, you know, or a 60 grade fastball uh, on the six to eight or 60 to 80 scale, however you want to put it out there. Um, you know, it hits 92, 95, typically where it sits, get up to 96, 97 at times, get some nice tail, definitely some movement on it. He does not throw a straight fastball. And the curveball at times can flash plus. It's just unbelievably inconsistent. He has a lot of trouble throwing it for strikes, which sounds to me like a pen arm. Big body. I think he can be somewhat elusive. Hides the ball pretty well. Um, the numbers haven't been awful. You know, he'll he'll miss some bats too. Maybe the stuff would tick up. You know, if he was if he was throwing an inning at a time. So I think ultimately that's going to be the path for for De La Cruz. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, at the end of the day, too, like we see some stretches smaller because when I mean, we don't have much to work with since 2015 with how much he's been injured, but the the results from his 54 inning sample in 2017 at High A weren't really fantastic i would say i think the fip sat above four the control was good which i think has been something that's relatively consistent for him which is one of the reasons why i think he could be a relatively effective pen arm if he could get one of those plus pitches going as far as his or the the curveball that's flash plus if he could get that going specifically and maintain this command i think that as we're saying this could be a dynamic pen arm but the strikeouts weren't really there in that 54 inning sample which doesn't really match some of the scouting reports that i've seen whereas where they've been a little bit more confident in his development so i'm a little bit concerned with that i want to see that come back in 2018 he's got to have that striker right if he wants to become a pen arm now i think he's just going to kind of meddle around the uh the uh minor league starter ish kind of class of of players especially at 22 years old um so I, i'm interested to see what happens with de la cruz but yeah inconsistent is probably the, the best word to describe him overall um what about victor caratini ralph we've seen him at the major league level um, relatively interesting guy overall. I think that a lot of people knocked him early on in his career for not being able to stick a catcher, and he actually did, and he improved his catching ability through the minors. Um, doesn't sit like well above average, like a Alfaro or something like that. But overall, uh, he feels at the end of the day, you have a number five in your list. He feels like a backup catcher to me. He isn't in that. We talked Orioles. We I, I like Cisco a lot. That's a guy that I think can end up being a top twelve catcher perennially for fantasy baseball. But Caratini feels too much to me like a backup catcher. Do you think there's any chance that he ends up being a consistent starting catcher that could get you, you know, 110 games for a fantasy team? Or is it, is that more of a pipe dream? Yeah, I think, I think it's probably more of a pipe dream at, at this point. Um, maybe if he ended up on the right team the thing with him is his stat line in the PCL was oh, yeah. so unbelievably good. 
And now sometimes that just happens. But I, I know for a fact that if I'm not mistaken, Iowa is actually one of the, the more pitching friendly environments. So his home park, as far as I know, is not one of the better hitting parks. But don't quote me on that. I'd have to double check the park factors, but I'm pretty sure. Um, he slashed 342, 393, 558. I wanted to just mention that because I, I think it, it, it needs to be said. It needs to be said. This guy was unbelievable in the PCL. So he can't hit. Um, he has approach. He's not prone to strike out a lot. Uh, there's a lot to like about him. I do think he's a major league player. And I don't think he's without value in terms of his bat. But I don't think he's ever going to see regular at-bats. And if he does, it's not going to be for a few years. Or there would have to be an injury to Melissa Contreras. Um I think there's an outside chance that he could become a top 12 catcher, but it's probably under 10%. There, but there is a, but there is a little bit of talent there. There is a, a profile when you look at the peripherals, the strikeout rate, walking, some of that stuff, his contact ability, um, his improving power. I could see him potentially being a decent offensive catcher. Now, I don't think he's necessarily going to see that playing time. I don't see it materializing, and I don't think any team wants him defensively game-calling, uh, you know, um, pitch-framing, all that sort of stuff. I don't really see any team investing in him as, a, as an actual everyday option or 60%, 70% split with another guy. He's a backup catcher. I think you're right. And the comp that I threw on him uh, before the show was Francisco Cervelli, and I kind of think that's who he is in some ways, at least as a hitter. Yeah, I agree. The really high OBP is something that I think a lot of teams might value. I think that that I I could kind of see a scenario playing out where Contreras, God forbid, if you're an investor in him on a fantasy team, but if if he gets hurt and Caratini slots in, I think he can actually be like league average as a catcher. But I I think that to some extent, what we're going to see with him is that he isn't a plus receiver. And we've noticed a lot of this pitch framing data has come forward and it's become more of a, of a standard for catchers. And I think that at the end of the day, if you look at his stat line offensively, it might be pretty good. But then if you turn to the receiving side, the actual defensive side, which a lot of teams probably want more so in a catcher, it may not be there. And that might be a reason why they end up going and end up platooning him after maybe some bits of hope are strung out that he can actually be like a 293, 60-ish catcher, you know, average OBP and be relatively productive from the plate. But I'm concerned overall that he ends up getting platooned even if he is healthy. Um, uh, even if he has, excuse me, finds playing time because most of that power is gap power too. So it's really all in the OVP and he's got an unbelievable approach, which I mean, you got to respect, especially with that slash line, just unbelievable. Honestly, I still baffled by that when I saw it, I didn't realize he was that good. Cause I, I do remember him playing a bit last year on the Cubs, but let's jump to uh, this trio of college pitchers, Ralph, who I know is the, is the other kind of storyline here that we wanted to talk about. Alex Lang, right-handed pitcher, Thomas Hatch, right-handed pitcher, Brendan Little lefty. Um, these are six, seven, and nine in that order. Um, Lang, Hatch, Little for you with Nelson Velasquez in there. But let's focus on the pitchers first. Lang is a guy you just said just before this draft that you were watching a ton of video-wise. He's from LSU. Um, what I see on him is that he has an unbelievable curveball, and this was confirmed on a lot of things I saw. A lot of people even considered it one of the best pitches in the 2017 draft, which stuck out to me. He can locate it. It's an aggressive delivery overall for him. I think it's almost a little bit more of a momentum delivery, which I call it, which is where it's not really smooth. It's more like a slow build and a very aggressive finish, which I don't see too much problem in. He has had some injuries. I think that his signing bonus got cut. Maybe you could confirm this, Ralph, for an injury that came out after he was signed. But I guess it was a matter of them, the Cubs not really caring that much and liking more of the track record around him 
And I mean, he killed it in the nine innings he threw in, in low A. So the extremely small sample again, but looked pretty good overall from a peripheral standpoint, maybe not so much from the RA standpoint, but is laying a guy you think Ralph in the next year or so, I know he's already 22, but college arm could probably advance a little bit quicker. Can he jump up into the top three in this system? Yeah, I think he can. Um, and one of the things that I like about Lang is the fastball, uh, breaking ball um, mix. That's a plus-plus curveball. I would say, you know, it's probably like J.B. Bukowski's uh, slider and, you know, uh, Alex Fado's slider when it's on, and then yeah. probably Lang's curveball. I would say he had the best curveball in the draft. I, I like him, and I, I, I noticed with his mechanics, they are very – athletic he's a lean sort of prototypical build 6'3 190 you probably could slap about 20 pounds of muscle onto him if you wanted to um he's athletic in his movements front side flies open a little bit like i said before i think he cocks his arm a little bit early his uh plant foot he extends it like crazy uh when he's pushing off from his back leg before he actually plants it that thing is is, is almost like a 45 degree angle uh with the ground before it plants so um, it, it is an interesting delivery and you can see, I think, you know, the momentum delivery is an apt, uh, description, but I do think he has stuff there. I like him more than hatch. I like him more than little, who I have some issues with on a few, uh, mechanical things and in terms of his stuff as well. Um, but I think ultimately he has the clearest path to being a mid rotation arm, um, you know, good, good fastball, good breaking ball, relatively polished guy, um, outside of the, the medical history, he had, you know, a somewhat storied career, very successful career at LSU, pitched against good teams in the SEC. Um, and I do think there's still some upside there that, you know, he could be a decent um, mid-rotation guy. At worst, I think he could be a really good reliever just because of how good that curveball, fastball mix is. So uh, yeah. I like Alex Lang a lot. I agree with that. Yeah, I think that to some extent, too, I, I from what I read at LSU, this curveball was so good that he really didn't even – think about a third pitch most of the time and I mean for a guy that's 22 and a college arm that's a little bit probably concerning for me because I think it can kind of stunt his speed of development I know a lot of these college arms we talk about all the time can fly through minor league systems but I'm a little bit concerned that he won't fly through so it might be more of an instance where you see him at 24 25 breaking into the major leagues whereas I know if you want a super high upside guy most of the time they're they're knocking at the door around that 23 year old age so I that's a super, super small knock, but I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. Um, I'm not as concerned with the mechanics. I think overall that I've heard some, some are as far as it being a little bit, I mean, that extension's insane as you're saying, but overall, I mean, Lang's fun. He's fun to watch. And I mean, I agree with that. I think that at the end of the day, if you're talking about floor, I think he's got a relatively high floor because of that two pitch combo and that, the, that he could get to the major league level, even as a reliever and be relatively productive and turn into even like a, a Carl Edwards kind of guy and, and give value back to the Cubs. And even your fantasy team, to some extent, maybe lesser than uh, the high upside guys were, were speculating on otherwise. But Thomas Hatch is a guy who's a little bit different overall mechanically, I would say. It's tough to kind of describe how they're different, but Hatch is just a really simple delivery from my understanding. Um, from what I've seen too overall with him and he's a little bit more stretched out. He's got the 124 and he's in high a, um, the 22% K rate, 9% walk rate. Um, I, I, he's interesting too, but again, he's 23. He's a little bit further along. And this is kind of what it's been the Cubs motto going with these little bit older kind of college arms and seeing what they can do, um, early in the 2016 and 17 drafts. I think Lang and, uh, Hatch was Hatch a 2017 guy. 
Uh, no, Hatch was a third rounder in 2016. There we go. Yeah, that was the Cubs' first pick that year too. So um, they obviously invested a bit in him. Um, and, and it's a it's a quiet delivery overall, and he's a little bit more of the low three quarters as opposed to uh, Lang, which probably comes a little more over the top. But Hatch is a guy. I'm not really sure how much upside I see with him, mainly because I don't think any of the off speed for him are are, are plus plus or have the potential to even flash plus plus. Um, the change up's interesting, but the fastball command is is not fantastic, which I think is an issue overall to both sides of the plate. Um, it could be a little bit better as he goes along, but I, I'm I'm a little bit kind of in the middle on Hatch. I like Lang more, and I think I might even like a little a little bit more. But Hatch impressions uh, for you, Ralph, you have him in between Lang and Little, so you have to have some love at least for him overall. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the thing that I like with Hatch is that he started to develop two additional pitches after being a, a heavy sinker slider guy uh, when he was at Oklahoma. He was really good his freshman year at Oklahoma, uh, missed his entire sophomore year after he had an elbow injury, didn't go with the Tommy John surgery. He went with the PRP, went with the plate and rich uh, uh, injections, ended up working out for him, came back his junior year with 9-3, um, 2.14 ERA, 1.08 uh, whip over 130 innings, led OSU into uh, the College World Series. Cubs decided to uh, be cautious with him. They didn't pitch him at all. So his debut was this year, I think, at what Myrtle Beach, high A Myrtle Beach, through you know, 124 innings. Um, so he took on a decent workload, showed a decent changeup, started throwing his four-seamer more, so he was mixing in two fastballs to go along with a sinker. I like sinker ball guys. I like sliders. I think you know he's somebody that's going to uh, generally drive a lot of ground ball contact. Uh, I don't know what his batting ball profile actually looks like off the top of my head, um, but I would I would imagine with the the, the pitch mix that he had, it's probably what's going to happen. Um, he's inconsistent with his delivery from time to time, which is sort of why he has uh, some control issues here and there. But I think ultimately he's very strong, sort of like a, a bulldog type guy in the mounds. I know he's listed maybe six one one ninety, but he looks very sort of uh, strong and stout. A strong, a strong ass lower half. He looks like a pitcher, you know. Um, so there's just things that I like about Hatch. I like that he was able to add two more pitches, um, though his changeup really does need to improve. Needs to improve that four seamer to be up to snuff with his other uh, uh, sinker, his other fastball. So there's some things that I do like about Hatch. He missed a lot of bats, you know, in his pro debut, despite the fact that he was 23. He had some reasons there, um, you know, after obviously missing a season uh, with with the, the arm injury. Um, and then throwing a lot of innings, 130 innings, um, you know, in college. He's also shown that he's come back well from that arm injury. So while I don't think that he necessarily maybe has the ceiling that Little has, Little being a lefty throws pretty decent stuff, um, and obviously younger at 21, he's two years younger, I do think Hatch has the higher floor, and uh, I think that he's uh, a surefire major league arm. I think at worst he's a middle relief guy for me. Yeah, I, I could kind of see that on the floor with what you're saying with all the pitches he has in the pitch mix and what he's developed and the fact that he's a little bit more stretched out. I think he that, yeah, the floor seeing with him is probably a little more compact in, in the sense that you're not getting you're not getting the Zole upside, but you're you're not getting um, you're not getting an insanely low floor to go along with that. So it's it's good. I, I think Hatch is interesting, but you mentioned earlier, Ralph, that you were a little bit concerned overall with Brendan Litter's delivery, and that was something I noticed initially when I watched him pitch. It's a it's comparable more so to Lang than Hatch I would say but it's much more segmented and violent in my opinion and I'm not sure how stable that could be long term but I have heard a lot of people um, perusing around the internet that I usually do for most of these lists 
just who like him a lot and like what he's shown a lot. Um, he transferred from North Carolina to Florida in college. Um, and he was down a bit Velo wise after, after being drafted his his debut wasn't fantastic overall, actually probably wasn't that good at all, but overall, I mean, there's a reason that the Cubs liked him a lot and that went with him. Um, and they went with him in 2017. Uh, he was the 27th overall pick by them in yeah. round one. So he went before I mean, Lang. Yeah, he did actually. So that's interesting overall. I mean, there's probably a reason that the Cubs took him over Lang and I'm, I'm interested be- if, if that is because of the curveball projection on him and if he could actually become a really good blend of upside and floor. But uh, I'm interested mainly in your take on little, but as a whole, this, this crop of college arms, Ralph, with the Cubs and their development on the pitching side, are you more apt to kind of bet on a guy like Hatch? If you're on it, if you're looking at a fantasy team and you want kind of a, one of these three college college arm Cubs starters, are you more interested because the Cubs don't have that much, of a tracker developing pitching to go with a guy like Hatch or kind of just take a shot on a guy like Little, who's probably a little bit raw, a little bit more on the knock side with his mechanics. And we're not sure maybe how confident we are on the Cubs figuring that out with this track record. Yeah. And I think I would, I think I would ultimately end up going with, uh, 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 uh and I'm drawing a complete blank about Cubs pitchers. Um, I would go with Hatch. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to pull up uh, Brendan Little's uh, Fangraphs page. I wanted to see how tall he was, but um, I would ultimate I would ultimately go with Hatch. I just like when I watch Hatch, I like his mechanics. I had some issues with with Brendan Little's mechanics. I didn't like where the arm slot was. I thought he was sloppy. I didn't yeah. think he repeated his delivery well. Whether it was the upper body or the lower body, he looks like a guy, especially when he's throwing ninety seven, that is just dying for an arm injury was really inconsistent with throwing strikes in the pro ball and his uh the reports i heard in fastball velocity ranged from 90 miles an hour all the way up to 97 yeah so he wasn't consistent with fastball velocity um and and that's indicative of somebody that either can't repeat his mechanics consistently uh or is having some some arm or shoulder issues which ultimately might have something to do with his mechanics not being clean to begin with so I do like the fastball when it's on. I've seen some tape of it on in college. He's, he's you know, he's hitting 97, uh, mixes in an above average curveball. There's a change here and there, but it's mostly fastball, curveball. And like you said, there is some projection there. So I understand why the Cubs liked him. Also being a left-hander, being a little bit younger, he's a Juco guy. Um, so they can be a little bit more raw as well. Um, but he's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't totally hate, Brennan Little, but um, I'm not a big fan either. You know. Yeah, I think that's a that's a, that's kind of a way to put a lot of these uh these Cubs pitches that we're getting outside of the top 100 ish. You know, like even like we we go up to Lang. We, we I think we both like Lang a bit, but De La Cruz is a guy who we're kind of like iffy on. And I mean, overall, it's it's an interesting list overall from the pitching perspective. But these three college arms, it seems to me like one of them ends up being like a three for the Cubs in a couple years down the road, just because I think that I believe in their development, maybe a little bit more for even a guy like little and fixing those mechanics. I know the aesthetic comp I kind of put to him, it's not probably too accurate, but it's almost like an Alex Wood delivery where I just kind of look at it and I go, eh, it just looks a little bit unnatural, maybe a little bit forced and maybe yeah. they could smooth it out a little bit, but it doesn't look like wood. And it's, it's just, a, it's obviously a little bit different, but just from the, the fact that I'm concerned overall with maybe there's a more efficient way for him to, get to that 97 velocity we're talking about and sit 94 to 96 instead of sitting in the nineties. And that's another thing too, is I didn't really find an answer as to why that velo ticked down a ton. I wonder if it was a workload issue or maybe a multitude of other things, but that's not really too 
doesn't breed too much confidence in me overall in his development moving forward if that wasn't a thing that even persists through the minor leagues at all with him and he is just in low A's 21 so again there's a lot to look for with him he, he is 6'1 195 so I think that you said you were looking for his, his height weight there Ralph but he goes back to yep. kind of more of that that Alberto's as Al, Alzale build overall of these Cubs stars as opposed to um, De La Cruz who I think is a little bit taller and wiry and Lang is I think probably a little bit taller as well we check yeah, about 6'3 with Lang. Yeah, so yeah, similar again. We're looking at that weird blend of kind of these taller, wiry guys and these shorter guys who you could consider undersized. But I think that's kind of enough of the college pitchers here, Ralph. Let's jump into two hitters that you have at 8 and 10 on your list. Nelson Velasquez, you have at 8. He's an outfielder. And Vladimir Galindo, first base, third baseman, at 10. My initial impression was that Galindo has probably the first bat on this list I've seen with legitimate power, legitimate pop that I think could probably play up at higher levels, but he's also had his fair share. Uh, like De La Cruz with injuries. Um, his, each of his last two seasons, I think finished in not so confident fashion with a broken leg and some shoulder soreness, but, um, and I like the K rate drop for him too. I think it cut down from 29 to 22 as he progressed to the, through the minors in year over year. Um, big, big power overall, as I just said. Um, and I'm actually, one of the things I'm most impressed with him is looking at his batter ball profile with Galindo here. Um, was that he goes the other way a decent amount, which I was a little, little bit surprised with. Most of these guys in the minor leagues with big pop, you see a lot of that pop to the pull side. Now, I don't know how many home runs of, of Galindo's go to the pull side, but overall, the fact that he his distribution batted ball-wise wasn't crazy to the pull side made me a little bit more interested in if he has a nice blend of gap power and actually raw projectable game power um, in games to actually breed some home runs. But with him, the position is something that I think is still relatively up in the air um, Ralph, your thoughts on Galindo here, and if you want to build in some talk about Velasquez, go for it. Yeah, sure. So uh, Galindo's a guy that I've always thought was a sleeper. I've drafted him in a few leagues, especially deeper dynasties. I think he's somebody that, you know, in the last round uh, in, you know, a 20 to 30 team league, if he's not owned, you could take a shot on him. And there's not a lot of people that are hot on him either. But I do think that he's a legitimate bat. So there's some power projection there. He's a good contact guy. Hasn't really been overmatched at any particular uh you know, level. And the fact that he does have the ability to go to the opposite field, he so, shows some sort of natural um, hitting instincts and sort of that hitting acumen that you look for. And sometimes that's the stuff that translates more than anything, um, because with all of these numbers, particularly power numbers, depending upon parks, um, there's some context to be, you know, put in, into its place in terms of, you know, maybe he didn't have overwhelming you know, over the fence power, but if he goes to the next park and gets these juice balls in the majors, maybe he is a 20, you know, 25 homer guy. Um, Galindo's biggest issue has been health. If he is, if he's able to play a full season, a full season ball and hit and put up the slash line he has, maybe get a little bit hot, lucky with some homers, get a hot streak where he hits for power for, you know, two weeks and, pl- you know, pluck six homers or something like that. I think he's a guy that could really explode. Um, and I think he's worth an investment, but I do think he's ultimately going to be a first base only guy. I don't think he sticks at third base. Um, and there's even a chance he's a guy that ends up getting traded and turns into a DH. He might be the new better bodied Dan Vogelbach in the uh, Cubs <laughs> system or, you know, Kyle Schwarber. They sort of have these bat first guys. Um, but I do think he's an interesting prospect and it's still 21. He has a lot of uh, time to develop, you know, two years plus before he's going to be considered, you know, a little bit old for a prospect. And uh, I think he could be a guy that really could jump. He could be a sleeper. This could be a definite um, Dynasty League sleeper. I don't know if I'm going to write a sleeper post on him, uh, but he wouldn't be a bad topic. And he's an interesting one because he's a guy that's had injuries 
but there's been production there as well. Um, jumping into Velasquez, I think he's sort of indicative of a decent Cubs draft. There's four players on my on my list here. Uh, another pitcher that I don't know if we'll get into, but a college arm that's sort of just a floor guy in Keegan Thompson. To go along with Little and Lang, uh, they also added Velasquez, who's uh, out of uh, PJ Education School in Puerto Rico. So another Puerto Rican player with tons of bat speed, raw power, um, foot speed as well. He's a good athlete. Um, you know, the game tower power is already translating, uh, to really hate myself again. I'm going to say that he's kind of like the Helio Ramos light of this draft. So he was a cheaper Helio Ramos that went a few rounds later, but I think he's really interesting. He's a 50 for first year player draft. Um, I like the power speed combo, everything I've watched on him. I, I look at the bat speed, the swing isn't perfect. But you can see that he has power already, and the fact that he's 18 and some of that power and speed did translate to his professional debut at such a young age has me pretty excited. He has some approach as well, um, despite, despite the fact that he hit 236. He actually got on base at a 333 uh, clip. So, you know, he's a guy that, that you know, has a, a, a decent eye. It's just a matter of him developing enough contact skills and uh, fixing some of those holes in his swing. So it's not something that gets exploited as he moves up the ladder. But I do think that there's sort of a floor there level of talent and some exciting tools for fantasy. And that's why I'm pretty high on Velasquez. Yeah, Velasquez overall is interesting because of that speed power comp we're talking about. Uh, rookie ball for the Cubs. He hit eight home runs, stole five bags. He was five for seven on the base pass. 31% K rate, which is probably the most concerning part. But as we're saying, you know, this kid's young. He's 19. I think that there's he actually... Just turned 19. Happy birthday, Nelson Velasquez, on the 26th. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> he was 18 through through his rookie ball season here. But uh, but yeah, I mean the the ISO was around 300 over the 126 plate appearances he had, and the slugging percentage was nice as well. Um, again, yeah, the the Ramos comp I don't actually think is a terrible one either. It's it's the Ramos light where you're looking at a lot of power, a lot of speed. Probably not as much upside as a guy like Ramos. I know he's been talked up a ton. In, in a lot of lists. And I, I probably agree with that more, but yeah, Velasquez is a guy that I think it will obviously hinge on the breaking ball recognition to bring that K rate down for the most part, but I don't mind his swing. I think his swings pretty solid overall from what I've seen. It's, it's relatively quiet. There isn't too much movement in his hands or his feet, lower body. I think he blends upper body, lower body through his swing relatively well. Um, so I'm just kind of interested to see what, if that carry drops at all, which is, is so often the case with so many of these big power guys. And I think he does have big power. So I'm interested to see him going forward. Um, I maybe would flip Galindo and Velasquez on your list, Ralph, but I don't know if that was something you considered a ton, but I think that they're relatively interchangeable. And I mean, as we're saying, this was like a six through 20 list. So it's one yeah. of those things where I don't think moving a guy up two spots is really that big of a knock, you know, overall, it's just, it's just, it's all personal preference on, especially almost on any list you get, unless we're talking like a Padres list or a Yankees list where you get down and you actually see a ton of, ton of elite depth, but with, I mean, a lot of these guys here, like even if you want to bring up DJ Wilson and make him the number eight, as we're probably going to get into in a sec, like I don't see any problem with that at all. So um, yeah, Galindo and Velasquez are two interesting guys. Um, let's talk about two outfielders quick here as we kind of wind down. This might be one of the first times where we'll, we'll finish and not hit the hour 30 mark, Ralph. Which I'm, no, we're just proud. we're under an hour right now. Oh, my God, this is unbelievable. <laughs> we can extend that if we want. But I, I want to talk some DJ Wilson and some uh, Zagunas, um, Mark Zagunas, both outfielders. Um, Zagunas is a Virginia Tech product, and DJ Wilson's a guy that I've actually noticed has made a ton of changes as he's progressed in the last couple of years. So I guess we'll start with Wilson here. And this is a guy that I think pre-podcast here we were both – 
kind of saying we liked a bit Ralph and and honestly he's another guy I'd probably jump up a couple spots I'm not sure how much I like Jen Hosang the righty who came up and didn't really perform too too well the major league level when he got his chance this summer but um, leaving Sang out of this for now Wilson and Zagunas um, you have them back to back with Wilson ahead uh, I'll, I'll kind of detail what I saw in Wilson's changes overall I watched some video of him from 2015 and he had a ton of pre uh, pitch bat movement Overall, his hands were really, really loose. And then in 16, he actually flattened out his bat, consolidated his swing a lot. But in in 2017, he's had a relatively interesting season overall, and the hands dropped a ton. So it's almost like he reverted back to 2015. And I was interested in overall how much you see on the side of the power with him, specifically Ralph. I'm interested. I, I, I think that the hands dropping to some extent would probably just get him into more of a natural hitting slot and allow for some of that power to come out. But he's a guy who I've seen touted as one of the better athletes in this system. He can run, and he's got some pop. But how much pop do you think is in the bat, Ralph, with DJ Wilson? Uh, I think it's probably what we saw this year because, you know, one of the things that came with the adjustments, he's able to turn on inside fastballs, and he's really tapped into full side power. And if you look at his uh, 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 his uh, spray charts, you know, most of his uh, extra base hits are, are almost all to his pull side. So, um, you know, where does he go from there? I don't think he's a guy that's ever going to have opposite field power. He's 5'8". He's a small guy, ton of bat speed, but he does mix enough power with that nice speed. Um, you know, walks a decent amount as well. But I think he, he blends that well. The issue with Wilson is always going to be the contact. He's a low batting average guy, which isn't great for somebody with the speed that he has. He hits the ball in the, in the air quite a bit. I think he's, what, a, a 50 or close to a 50% fly ball guy i'd actually like to see him hit the ball on the ground a a little bit more but i just don't know if that's the kind of player he is so i worry that he's somebody that has power and speed when you look at his stat line and when you look at a highlight reel he makes some great plays but ultimately i don't know if he has the hit tool and sort of the floor as just a, a a professional hitter to make it to the major leagues with those tools. I just, I, I wonder if he's somebody that's always going to flash some upside and at best is a fourth outfielder. Um, Cause he just can't hit enough to stay in the major leagues. No, that's, a, that's an interesting point too. Yeah. With, with his speed, which I mean, you could probably grade 50, 60 ish easily with him. Um, he hits too many fly balls to play into that speed, but it's interesting because for fantasy wise, you probably want the fly balls. If you think that there's any power there, because he obviously are going to want a guy who's going to hit 15 to 20 home runs at peak, but I don't even think he could get there with what we've seen from him. But at the end of the day, I'd be interested to see if they change his hands at all again to try to get him to play into that speed more and keep him, you know, use that 50, 60 graded speed and put him, have him put the ball on the ground more and, and turn into almost like a, I mean, I'll toss in another uh, light comp here, but you know, like a speedy contact guy, like almost like an Ender Inciarte who, who can get down the base pass pretty quick, but, um, isn't going to power through anyone. And he's obviously not, I mean, DJ Wilson's ne- not nearly as good of a hitter posted 229 average and a ball when he jumped up this year, which isn't really too encouraging, but uh, you can take a walk to is around 10%. So there's, there's some interest here overall with him. Uh, the 60 grade speed we're talking about too is interesting because he was 50 for 22 um, stolen bases, which, which isn't really the greatest thing in my opinion, especially at a ball, unless he just got caught in a bunch of weird scenarios he was just running a ton, but I, I want a lot more efficiency. If I actually think at the end of the day, he could be like a, a 20 stolen base guy at the major league level. So there's a lot of kind of 
knocks on Wilson overall. But I like the fact that they're making adjustments with him, and I'm interested to see what he ultimately ultimately ends up being on the batted broke batted bits. Woof, excuse me, batted ball profile side. That's a tongue twister. But, uh, but Zagunis Ralph uh, is another guy with a relatively good approach overall. Um, 17% walk rate and 400 plate appearances at AAA in 2017 slash 267, 404, 455. Another one of these kind of OBP guys who can eventually play out. But at the end of the day, you kind of take a step back and try to figure out if he ends up in the corner, is it putting too much pressure on his bat to actually be of a, of a projectable value point that you can actually invest in in fantasy and, and get some return on him. I'd probably lean towards no with him overall. I think there's probably more interest and upside going with a guy like DJ Wilson, who might actually be able to play into that speed a bit once he, he kind of appreciates through the minors, but Zagunis with that 17% walk rate, uh, still has some power. I mean, still has some, um, viability coming off the bench, I guess, as a fourth outfielder. Um, what are your thoughts on Zagunis overall, Ralph? I think Mark Zagunis is the kind of player that should be traded to like the 2002 Oakland athletics. Uh, he, he, he's like an on-base machine. You know, he has like middling power, um, he's like, he's like a reborn Scott Hatterberg, only he could play like a, a like a decent left field. Um, he was actually a converted catcher when he first came in, he was a catcher, which is why initially I had some interest in him. I wish, I wish he could catch like 12 games a year just so he could keep eligibility and then therefore be somewhat of a decent fantasy asset. But I, I never, I, a guy like this, I can't imagine him ever carving out an everyday role with a team like the Cubs. But I do think that he has a good enough hit tool and a very good approach. You know, such a a disconcerting eye that I think there's definitely a role for a guy like this in the major leagues for, you know, five plus years in terms of a decent career that he could carve out. But he's got to get he's got to get to a second division sort of a team. I hate to use that expression because it, it like belittles some of these teams, but I always throw the Oakland Athletics out there because it seems like you know they're just like a cost prohibitive team that he'd be a perfect fit for. Tampa Bay Rays, it, it's one of those those teams where I think he's all of a sudden just going to pop up and be a decent hitter. Not anything great, okay in OBP leagues because he walks so much, um, but it's nice that he started to flash some power because. You know, if, if he didn't have an opportunity to maybe pop 15, 20 homers at peak, um, I think he wouldn't be all that interesting at all. But there's a little bit of interest still with Zagunas still. You know, uh, every so often there, I'll come across someone that's really high on him and will, will ask me a question about him. But uh, I think he's just like he, like a lot of these guys in this system. He's like a fringe major leaguer, but there is an opportunity. There is you know, an upside that I could see the a way that he carves out a useful role in the major leagues and, you know, maybe contributes to fantasy teams for a month here, a month there when he's on a hot streak. Yeah. Especially in points leagues too, because of that OBP we're talking about. And the yep. fact that, I mean, even if it's, even in a super small sample, he was able to take a walk at the major league level. It's one of those skills. That I don't think deteriorates as you, as you go up level to level, especially as how well he's refined at a triple a, um, especially with how big of a sample he had a triple a with his 17% walk rate, 22% K rate. Um, jumping into kind of the bottom of this list here, Ralph, a couple guys I wanted to see actually, if you had any opinion on Jeremiah Estrada, um, he's a guy that I, I think I was almost more interested in the story around him than him as an actual player. He signed for a million dollars, um, as a sixth round pick, which is from what I understand really high above the, the average slotting value. So, and he was committed to UCLA. And from what I understand, that offer pulled him away from UCLA. And it was a strong commitment too, if I, if I'm sourcing correctly here to, to UCLA and the Cubs pulled him away with this offer. So 
what what exactly did the Cubs see in this kid that they were willing to be that aggressive and use so much of their slot money and, and kind of reallocate it to a guy like him? I watched some of his tape, and I think he's got a nice clean delivery. It's really loose and athletic. I think a lot of people see it as a little bit long, and there's some relief risk there. But, again, he's 14 on this list. He's kind of young, so it's one of those guys where I'm not shocked. Didn't really pitch well on rookie ball at all, but, again, he's 19, just turned 19 too. So uh, do you know anything about this? How how much the Cubs like this kid that they're willing to overpay him in his slot in the sixth round? Yeah, you know, I, I didn't read anything specifically about that. The one thing that I sort of focused on in my write-up and something that came across in a couple of scouting reports is the fact that he really tried to work in a slider his senior year of high school, and uh, he threw it a lot more than his off-speed stuff. When he had sort of made his bones in his junior year in high school, um, being able to mix a really good fastball uh, with a good with a good changeup. Um, so he's got a feel for a changeup still. I know that he did throw all three um, in the limited. I mean, he only threw six innings in the Northwest League, but yeah. decent athlete. Um, and I've read read some some nice stuff on him. He's a guy that sort of slipped through the cracks, and the Cubs were you know able to sign him you know for a million bucks, get him away from that commitment, and you know maybe he's a guy that went in the sixth round, but you know potentially had late second, early third round kind of talent. Um, and the tape I've watched him, you know, he is a good athlete. I think he's somebody on the back end of this list that could potentially jump up quite a bit. So he is he is another interesting player from uh, from this draft, actually. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I just think that that's a, there's got to be. I wish I could wish we had like a Cubs scout or someone to talk to to see what they liked about him that much <laughs> that they're willing to do that. I'm sure there was something Uh-oh. there, but it doesn't seem like it popped out. But uh uh the one week, the one week we don't have somebody on this on the show right? that talks about the system. <laughs> now we, we have questions. It's on 14 over on your list, though, so probably a little bit late to, to have someone on just for a question on that. But yeah, right. But how about how about number 15 on your list, Ralph? And then maybe you could talk about Keaton Thompson a little bit, who I can't say I know too much about, but has a beautiful line at the at the amount of or I don't know where he pitched low A was it Keaton Thompson? But um, this guy yeah. David Boat or Bodie, however you say it, another guy kind of where we're not sure on the position. We were talking about. Um, Galindo kind of end up at, ending up at first base, possibly a DH kind of guy. But Boat is played first, second outfield kind of everywhere, and it doesn't really seem like there's anywhere for him to play. But I kind of like what they've done with his swing, particularly too. Um, he's a lot more upright now from what I've seen um, through his minor league career and into his uh, pre-collegiate career and stuff like that. But uh, um, he was really crouched at one point, and he, they brought him up a ton um, he had a pretty big leg kick too, and he, I think he still has that relatively. So, um, the thing that I mean with the leg kick too, I like the fact that his carry isn't insanely high. He's probably pretty good on the pitch recognition side. Could take a walk at nine percent, fourteen home runs at double A slash two seventy two, three fifty three, four thirty eight. Ends up being a corner outfielder, I think, at the end of the day, in my opinion. But I, I don't think there's probably defensively enough there to to have him play like a second base. But in the corner, do you think his bat, even though it's only fourteen home runs at double A? I think that that's relatively okay for a guy like this, but is this a kind of a Zagunas kind of guy, Ralph, where it just feels like he needs to be on a second division team or he's not yeah. going to find an everyday role with the Cubs? Yeah, I think he's, I think he should be traded with Zagunas in a trade for like a middle reliever. Give him the when they need one down the stretch, and he'll be perfect for whatever team he, he goes to. Um, but yeah, that's exactly what we see with both. And, you know, he was an early star in the Arizona Fall League. He went like bananas in the first like six or seven games, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then wasn't so great down the stretch. But he has decent approach, decent contact, has some power. I mean, he's a professional hitter. 
you know, um, yeah. to, to steal a, a sports writer uh, cliche. But, yeah, I think that's what he is. He's, he's, he's ultimately, you know, sort of a professional hitter, a guy that is going to be a decent decent bench bat um, or somebody who's uh, maybe in the strong side of a platoon uh, for a second division team. But I don't think he's somebody that's ever going to be a star. And you'd have to have a relatively uh, deep league, 30-team league with, like, you know, 50 minors owned or something for him to be somebody that you'd really want to own other than, you know, a, a lottery ticket that, at the end of your bench that maybe there's something here more than you think. Um, as for Keegan Thompson, no, I mean, you know, good starter out of Auburn. They plucked him in the third round. Uh, righty, you know, mixes in a really nice curveball, has a changeup, a couple variations of his fastball, uh, changes speeds well as he actually throws a sinker in his two-seamer. Hits uh, high 80s, so um, mid 90s f- uh, four seamer. So he, you know he's got sort of uh, three three speed levels in terms of his pitches. Throws a lot of different stuff. Um, relatively uh, developed and polished already. So I don't know how much ceiling there is or actual projection, but I think he's a guy that could be relatively quick to the majors and uh, be a decent back end of the rotation kind of a starter um, for the Cubs. So I think he was a decent draft pick for him. And then the other guy I wanted to mention, too, was uh, Eddie Martinez. And it's funny. He was one of the highly rated guys in that uh, 2015 signing class, I think it was, or maybe 2014 signing class. Maybe it was it was the Vlad Jr. class, but he was in the same class as Juan Soto, uh, Yonder Javier, uh, uh, Jalen Ortiz, Dylan Heredia, to name a few. Um, and he just really hasn't materialized. He was a highly touted uh, Cuban player. Signed for a decent amount. Originally, he was supposed to sign with the Giants, and there was some funny business with the deal, and he ended up signing with the Cubs at the last hour. Um, and he was a guy that, you know, all the reports early on in the July 2nd window, some even had him rated number one. And uh, I think maybe Jesse Sanchez from MLB.com had him ranked one. And he really hasn't done much. He's been a very good defensive center fielder, um, but he hasn't hit. He was at high A this year, and he slashed 244. 297, 366, had 14 homers, but I think he played like every damn game. You know, he was like the Freddie Galvis of the Carolina League. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, those are my Cubs. That's my, those are my Cubs thoughts. Do you have anything to say about those, uh, uh, about those last two guys I covered with Eddie Martinez or Keegan Thompson? No, I don't particularly. I can't say I knew much about Eddie, but the fact that he was built in guys like Yadier Alvarez and Ortiz and Heredia and stuff is, is kind of wild to me, especially like a guy like, Jesse Sanchez, who is, is very reputable. The fact that he had him top of that class means there's something there, but I, I'm interested to see why it didn't materialize more so, which, I mean, maybe I'll dig into a little bit, but it doesn't really seem like there's too much of a reason there. It's a little bit disappointing, especially when a guy that build that, you know, high up esteem wise doesn't materialize. And, and Keegan Thompson just again goes back to this class of, uh, of college arms that I probably a little bit further along that the Cubs can develop. Um, he probably, I mean, if you're looking at pure season wise, I know it obviously varies based on the skill of the pitcher, but he had a really, really good year. Um, and even in a small sample, he threw together only 19 innings, but he was really good overall, really good K to walk ratio and stuff. So maybe the sense of being a guy who hops up into that kind of sub, uh, not that Azole Alberto kind of tier we're talking about, but that, that little hatch tier we're talking about where, college arm could probably project pretty well and it'd be interesting in another year to see where he is. But um, yeah, I think I'll pass it back to you, Ralph. Is this going to wrap up the, the Cubs edition of the Razzle Prospect podcast? 
Yes, it is. And somehow we still managed to go an hour and 10 yeah. minutes. We still, right. we right. still snuck on maybe just a little bit under. I think we started at like 924 and it's 1033. Right. So there you go. We stuck it in there late, but we, but we went through the whole list. I think, oh, yeah. you know, we focused heavily on the early pitchers. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's all my Cubs thoughts for now. And, you know, they've done a good job developing players and drafting, and they have so much talent at the major league level that they don't really need to be concerned um, with their lack of talent at this point. If you're a Cubs fan, enjoy what you have. You have a great young team. If you had a, if this was a dynasty team, You'd have one of the three, four best dynasty team setups, you know, <laughs> outside maybe the oh, yeah. Yankees and the Astros, you know, um, and they have a chance to compete every single year going forward. So hopefully they can develop another starter or two, maybe sign somebody off the, uh, off the, you know, free agency this year, maybe try to make a trade. That's the only area where they might be lacking. But the, the, the prices I've seen of late, who knows, maybe they can package four or five of these guys and sell somebody on them. Um, but it's the Cubs, and another point I wanted to bring up before uh, we wrap up here is I think the other thing is there may be four, five, six, you know, 16, 17-year-old players that they had plucked out of the you know, uh, international market over the last couple of years that we're not even aware of yet that may pop up on our radar in the next two years. So they're the kind of organization like the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees that do a really good job of scouting internationally. Uh, but that's it. I'll... Uh, Say that this is Ralph Lifshitz, Rasball.com. You can find my writing on uh, Tuesdays most of the time and Sundays. Obviously, the host here of the Rasball Prospect Podcast do the uh, Fantrax Baseball Show with Andy Singleton. We had uh, the man, the myth, the legend, John Sickles, one of my idols on this week. And uh, that's coming out on Friday. So uh, that's already out if you're listening to this on Saturday or later. Go and check that out. I probably tweeted it out a million times. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Prospect Jesus. And uh, thanks for listening. I'll kick it over to my main man, Lance. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at, at Lance Brosdow, B-R-O-Z-D-O-W. It's the first seven letters of my last name. Um, I'm always tweeting stuff out. I write for Big Three Sports. I write for Razzball. I got a, a three or four, two or three, excuse me, columns coming through for Razzball in the next probably week or so. I'm just queuing them all up because I've been slacking, giving all my time over the Prospect Podcast here. But um, I'm doing a little piece on Zach Cozart and kind of his projectability, and I'm still kind of delving into the other two topics, but they'll probably be pitching related. So you can take those out on riseball.com. I'm sure they'll be coming through with all the great work that Ralph and, and Gray are doing in the offseason here. Um, I'm Big Three Sports, too. I'm doing a lot of my regular columns there. Works with Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. Um, yeah, pretty much follow me on Twitter, and I, I, I run everything through there. So uh, I think for myself and Ralph, uh, we wish you all a very happy new year, as this is going to be probably posted on Saturday. So um, you're 24 hours or so probably away from – from partying it up and, and seeing 2018 and um, it's been a, it's been a fun year. And I know there's been some changes that have gone on in the Rosbeck Rasball prospect podcast land, but I'm, I'm stoked to d- delve into 2018 with Ralph here and, and really get into some, some of the more interesting lists. Like the, I think we're going to do the white Sox next week. And eventually that Padres one, I think is going to be a, a huge podcast for us, which I'm really excited about. So um, all good things to come in 2018. And we really hope you guys enjoy your new years. Thanks a ton. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago. 
with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle, long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles.